This morning, I want to have you listen to a few words by way of, of challenge and also admonition. Pastor Andrew Davis says this, Tiny threads of time are the warp and woof of God's redemptive tapestry. A series of todays used well or poorly. God has ordained that the physical universe be composed of atoms. So has God ordained that history is composed of moments. Personal and world history is an accumulation of todays and how they were spent. At our death, the window of opportunity will be closed. Our time on earth finished. We can no longer store up treasures in heaven. We can no longer lead people to Christ. We can no longer suffer gladly for Christ. The time for all these things will be past. The call to every Christian, then, is to make the most of this short segment of time to make every day count for eternity. God in His providence uh, surfaced those words for me this morning as I spent time in the Word of God and and, uh, pouring over this book. And I thought they were appropriate words for uh, this morning. We have an opportunity to... Uh, to hear from one of our missionaries, uh, Ken and Sharon Lovell. Uh, they have been serving for many years in the country of Peru, and I think you will be very, very encouraged to hear from them. I want to encourage you to uh, spend some time with them after the morning uh, service this morning. And so uh, would you give uh, Ken a warm Christ Fellowship welcome? back here to Nooksack. I was born in Bellingham, raised in Linden over on the Axling Road on the family farm. And uh, Uncle Bott, Uncle Dean Bott was the one who started this church in the early 60s. And so we were members from the time uh, this church began. Dad was a leader here and mom was a piano player. And Mrs. Jagger, good to see you and other people from the olden times. Anyway, it's great to see here, great to be here. And thanks for the family that's here. Thank you for placing us in the roll. We had one week to hit all our churches here on the coast, so we're hitting six churches from Sunday morning today to Sunday uh, afternoon next uh, next week. So we have a busy, short furlough of three months. My wife has to uh, do a lot when we're on furlough, setting up homes, and this time we decided not to set up home, just to come and see our churches on the summer break. So we're taking a three-month break, no school books, and my wife is a happy camper. And so we're, we're really grateful to be here. This last uh, year and a half, two years, Willie has had, uh, it's my youngest son. We have Raquel, 24, well, Raquel, 24, and then Mark, 22, and then our four boys are here with us, and they are 18 16, 14, and 10. This is the even year. And uh, so we, we are grateful for our kids. And uh, last year, and, and even in the, into the year before, Willie had some struggles in his health. And it had 
everybody wondering what is going on. And uh, it was migraines. He was treated for a while. He was first treated for the Giardia and the parasites and all of those things that are a constant part of our life. Most of us live happily with these critters, but Willie didn't. And, uh, and the medicine began to get on him after so many bouts with antibiotics. He was, he was sick, and his, the headaches and the nausea were a constant thing. And uh, those are learning times in our lives and learning times for parents and especially for mom. Willie's going to come up and share a poem. Hey, Joe. In his steps. The road is too rough, dear Lord, I cried. There are stones that hurt me so. And he said, Dear child, I understand. I walked it long ago. But there is a cool green path, I said. Let me walk there for a time. No child, he gently answered me. The green road does not climb. But I wish that there were friends with me that would make, who would make my way their own. Ah, yes, he said. Gethsemane was hard to bear alone. And so I climbed the stony path, content at last to know that where my master had not gone, I would not have to go. And strangely then, I found new friends that burden grew less sore. As I remembered long ago, he went that way before. So we praise the Lord for the... for the way he uses our trials and that uh, he can allow us to grow through them and be enriched by them. Sharon and Joel are going to come and uh, share a song and Sharon's going to share a message before they... She's not going to preach, but she's got a message to give anyway. My husband has roots. It's always exciting to come back. And yesterday as we drove around the old roads, he told us about all kinds of different things from his childhood that might have been lost other than going back and seeing those sites brings back all those memories. As missionaries, we're just normal people. We just have the same struggles that everybody has. And one of the things that's been a challenge to us in, in many different health issues that we had the last year and a half are that um, it's not an accident when what we're going through, and this is something that you can all relate to, aches and pains as you get older, the health crises that comes, the grieving, the changes and adjustments as your parents are getting older and you're having to make decisions, and all these painful things. In our case, it's been um, some painful things, and then it's been some just really confusing things where there was no answer and the symptoms keep going, and you're struggling just to survive on a day-to-day basis. Where is God in all that? He doesn't necessarily make you feel good. He doesn't take away your pain, but he's there with you the whole time. And um, the Lord just impressed upon me, as three of us in our family were thrown into physical therapy within a month, there's a purpose beyond this. And so we're asking the Lord to show us what is this all about, one of the physical therapists said to us in one of our early sessions, Ken and I would go together a lot or I'd bring a friend with me. And the therapist asked us, are you believers? And he said, 
yeah, we are. What about you? And he said, my mother is. And we thought, oh, this is interesting. This is why we're here. So we began praying for him and looking for opportunities to encourage him, to invite him, to give a word, to ask a question. We asked some questions about his life up and down, where he came from, where he was going. And um, little by little, we watched him begin responding, come out to eat with us as a family, and, and pop in at church one time. And then little by little, he started coming to church. We watched him accept a Bible study with Ken, and he accepted the Lord last September. That was a visible result. We don't usually get to see that. Usually you just, you're trying to do right, you're sowing seeds, but you don't get to see any results. We got to see that one that time, and it, it was so encouraging to see that it does matter how we respond, and when we can respond with a, with a smile in our pain and care about somebody else, even though we have enough problems, that God uses that to be a light and a testimony in this very dark world. And I think that's something we can all relate to as we go through our lives. It's so easy to get wrapped up in what we're struggling with. But if we can look beyond that and, and realize God is in this, and this life is going to be filled with pain and uncertainty as long as we live. But what can I do that's different than what the world does? And that's hope in God. And that act of hope, that act of faith, is reflected in a life of joy and the ability to smile at somebody and reach out to them even though we're struggling. And we can do this because we know that God's way is perfect. Of the 
cross I cannot bear. When the joy has departed from my sorrow-stricken soul, this one thing I know for sure, my God is in control. His way is perfect. His way is perfect. Don't understand his wise and loving plan. His way is perfect. His way is perfect. Take my life and make a face of purified. God makes no mistakes. His way is best. The people to whom we minister in Peru are the descendants of the Incas. They developed a civilization around 1280, which flourished until the Spaniards conquered in 1532. Their empire, at its height, stretched from Colombia to Argentina. These people built paths and roads through the rugged, steep Andes mountains and braided rope suspension bridges over deep gorges. They cultivated corn, lima beans, and 3,000 varieties of potatoes, as well as grains like barley and kiwicha. And quinoa. As to their religion, the Incas worshipped many gods, including the sun. With the arrival of the Spaniards came the addition of the Catholic faith and the Spanish language. However, Quechua is still the main language of many people today. All right. Uh, if you guys can help me with the pictures behind... And I got the picture in front. That's nice. Sharon and I met after a year-long program, work-study program, that I did in 87 and 88. Uh, and a couple years later, we were married, and we uh, joined the mission in 1992, Baptist Missions. We've been with them now uh, 25 years. And uh, that's the country we work in. That's where I worked in the year that I was down on the Ariba program on our deputation. We were with our daughter, Raquel, during the eight years that we worked in Santo Tomas, which is like the wild west of Peru. Uh, we had four, four more children. And, uh, and Marcus in Costa Rica. And so by the time uh, 2005 rolled around, we came in with our entire family to the sacred valley of the Incas, right at the base of those mountains. And there's the town of Urubamba that we live in and have worked in ever since that time. And this is the site you see as you're going down in. We came to work with the Bible College. Started in 2004. They were busting at the seams at these times. We had families coming in and we didn't have room for the 86 students. And so eventually we bought a property and I'll show you pictures of the property later on. This is some of our colleagues, Sam and Beth 
Rojas, great colleagues, uh, Bob Watley. He just taught his last class here in March. Uh, he's been there over 60 years and, and done a great work. We want missionaries that are long, have longevity. Uh, 67, the Hutchinsons came. He died a few years back with cancer, but she still comes down and teaches classes with her curved back and, and uh, different health problems she has. She's still teaching. Uh, they don't make missionaries like they used to. Cockrells just helped the Watleys graduate their church and are coming back to start a church with one of our graduates in Cusco. We're excited to have them on board. And the Millers, they're down from Long Beach, Washington, and they've worked in Alaska with some tribes up there, school teachers. They came to teach in our Christian school that I'll tell you about, and they worked in the church and the seminary, a great asset. Two single ladies work with us. Rachel Tarvin is the taller one, and Lydia. And they both have been just uh, fabulous in the seminary, very dedicated to the work. Tim Watley is Bob Watley's son, and him and his wife Barb are a huge blessing. And Pat and Wendy Campbell, they... Uh, have been a part of the team since 2001, a required teacher, a biology teacher and coach. And he loves kids and he loves teaching and he does a wonderful job. So he comes down and teaches four or five module classes back to back and then he's here kind of bringing support for different uh, funds and things that we need for the Bible college. And MKs, we're a big family. They're all aunts and uncles and and there are... Uh, uh, just a big family. So here's a, a missionary family that we have, a missionary meeting that we have, and you see the ladies getting a picture together, and a couple of that I didn't mention, Bob and Becky Bass starting the church in Salvacion, Joy Ackerman starting the church with Tim and Barb Watley down in a town called Kiteni with another graduate from our school. And there's some of the men, and uh, in the very back in the middle, uh, Fogel, he grew up in Africa, but, uh, and he knows, he grew up speaking Sango and uh, English, of course, and then they learned French when he went to school, and now he's learning Spanish and teaching in Spanish, so I wish I had as uh, much language ability he has, but we have great co-workers. We are not working alone. So here we are doing our strategic plan a few years back, and we praise the Lord for that plan as it's advancing. And we'll share with you some of the goals that we have as we go through here. But uh, my basic, biggest team is my family. And without my family, I wouldn't be able to have the ministry that I have. And uh, sharing with music, our kids and music, uh, Isaac playing the guitar for the kids in an open-air plaza. They both song lead, the older ones, and uh, help with puppets and uh, the orchestra there in the church. Uh, kids club, they work in every Saturday morning. All four of the kids are there. So, I, again, I praise the Lord for our team uh, that God's put together and for the blessing to be able to work together with them. And we had the privilege of being together in 2011 with all of us. And uh, Since 2011, all six kids were together for Christmas. Last year, we celebrated 25 years of marriage, and we were able to come back from my son's graduation. And then we went over and visited my daughter, who was finishing up a year program in Israel, and we spent two weeks going through Israel and having a wonderful time. She just
just graduated from Faith Baptist Bible College last month, and now she's planning on going on to seminary, continuing her studies in Hebrew and theology and, and a thinking of ministry to the Jews in some way, and just pray for a direction in her life. Marcus would like to go on and study nursing, and so they're both paying off school bills and planning for further study. A little bit about what God's doing in New Life Baptist Church. And again, we will have a team here. Uh, there's Sam uh, amongst some of our church family there in a service. And we were kind of packed. We finally knocked out that back wall and added on about 25 feet to the roof. And now we can get a lot more people in for the services. And it's working out really good. Uh, there's our youth pastor. I've done a lot of work with our kids. Here's the Quechua pastor and his family. And uh, Quechua service starts at 8.30 and they're not out and until one o'clock if they stay for the whole thing. So you think you got a long service today. Well, come to Peru. Uh, he is a deacon in the church. We've worked with married couples and our families need a lot of help. I know that's true the world over, but it's a blessing to be able to work and see families. Families growing and families, uh, it, people fixing their lives. Some of them get married after they've always lived together, already lived together. But these are a couple of white weddings that we had of young people who are growing up and starting things right. And, but it's just great to see families growing and maturing in the Lord. Uh, one other th project that we've had is a Christian school. And so in, about four years ago, they started the Christian school and... Uh, yeah, a few more ahead there, Isaac. Yeah, there's some kids programs that we have in our church. Oh, and kids clubs that are started by a couple that started out rough, but man, they're serving the Lord. They have five kids kids clubs right in the in the Utabamba area, and now they're starting two in Cusco. And, uh, okay, a few more pictures about uh, Sharon, a lady that she counseled a lot, and her family. So the church is growing, and we're excited about what God's doing. So here's the Christian school. Four years ago, it started, and we really didn't have a facility. We didn't have green areas for the kids to play. That's part of the new property that we bought, seven acres. Uh, a church gave an offering, a very generous offering, and with that, all this building was done, and now we have about 80 to 90 students, and it's a great outreach to the community we see in kids saved and uh, and it's been a super blessing to have this christian school very hard legally get your resolution your um yeah the legal right to run a school and but uh things are coming along they just had a big guinea pig feed for the minister of education and he came what's your number and he said he's going to bring it up and get us our thing so that's how you get a license in peru uh, just before we came back, this is a baptismal class that I was teaching on a Sunday morning and, uh, and a group of believers that were getting baptized. This was Resurrection Sunday just before we came home at the end of April. And then we went over to the park. And so here's some of the people in the park that are waiting for the baptismal service. Some of them getting baptized. The guy on the, on the far uh, right uh, got baptized that day. And this is his family. They're all kind of new in the church. Let me tell you about a missionary we have. She's not a missionary. She's a psychologist of all things, but she loves the Lord. She loves God's word and she is excited about it. She can't keep quiet about God and God's word. And 
and what and our church church she's bringing people to church every week so this lady came there with many problems and next picture shows her and her husband uh well her and her live-in then getting married we were in a bible study together with them and saw them growing in knowledge and they got saved and now they're a part of the church so we're excited about that that right behind her there a little bit the second one behind kind of in the shadow there her, she was married to a drunk in the town over, and last year uh, he he made a profession of faith and he was baptized. They were married. I mean, things happened really fast. And then he got discouraged and he got back into drinking. The whole family puts pressure on him and all of his friends. He was a very he was a cook and and had a lot of friends and they pulled him back into drinking. I went into the hospital and he looked like he was about ready to die and he was. He had cirrhosis of the liver and very very bad shape and uh, and then in tears he just said you know god is teaching me and he's back in church his family's in church and he's going to help start a church in his town real soon so that was another contact through norman i could give you many more but it's exciting here's a, a guy that we met at physical therapy uh fell uh he was worked in electricity, so with the electric, uh, he, he fell from up high on the post. And he's been in the wheelchair now for three, four years. And even so, kind of the leader in the family. But pray for Roy. He needs to make salvation decisions. A group of young people in our church that are just dynamite. They love the Lord and they're making good decisions. Uh, a couple that got their life right and she got baptized this day. And so I'm preaching on Acts chapter 8 and the public park and a lot of people around and listening to God's word. But the greatest thing is hearing the testimonies. This is Elvis. He was a drunk. You can see his beer belly. And he uh, grew up in a very Catholic family and she as well. And uh, very... Uh, popular in town everybody knows him and he's very gregarious and and outgoing uh but but he had a lot of problems and his wife and he were living together and fighting like cats and dogs and uh they got saved though last year and there was a bible study and again i was part of that some of the time and uh then came to the point where he kind of hit the wall and he went out he just was gone but he was drinking and i found him and we took a drive together and a walk together and i was preaching to the guy and and uh it was great to see him come out strong and uh, they were just baptized here on resurrection sunday so a uh, great example there's the there's our uh physical therapist who was baptized that day and then a whole group, bunch more and isaac just whipped through these pictures and and you can see the baptismal service and so we had a baptismal service in march another in april and the church is growing and we're excited to see what god does and when he changes somebody he changes drunks into people that hate alcohol and, and just changes their lives turns it upside down and so we're excited to be in a business that changes lives and has eternal rewards my biggest ministry is the bible college i'm the director there's my co-director and he's the director of studies uh, my wife again she's helping she's there when i need her but most of the time she's running the level homeschool program but this is the team that's keeping the college going while I'm taking this three-month furlough. And I praise the Lord for them, their faithfulness, and they're doing the day-to-day battle right now. And uh, so that's the team. And here's some of the students. Oh, a great thing about being a director, you can 
and you'll see a little bit of my heart maybe. Uh, we started a, a theme for every year. And these are going to be revolving themes. That every four years, uh, uh, they will learn these four themes. Here's the first one, creation in 2015. And so we had a great year learning about creation. Russ Miller was the guy in the picture. And he gives tours through the Grand Canyon and the Great Staircase. And if you have any questions about that, you can ask me afterwards. But we're going to see that on July 4th on this trip that we're doing right now on the end of it we're going to go see it it was excellent and just the creation and and the flood and we had two conferences during the year and both of them were excellent the other one was Juan Valdez works with Carl Kirby and uh and anyway it's just very interesting last year Israel was the theme and this was the first pastor he came and he had such a passion and a knowledge of God's word it was awesome and so uh speaking about Israel and then the the next one was a missionary to Israel this year the missions uh missions is the theme and this is a guy who has a business and a very interesting business and uh and all the proceeds go to missions. And he does three trips and three projects a year. And so he's given a perspective of missions from the pew. We had another pastor preaching. And we're going to have another missions conference. And Andy Counterman's coming. He represents a mission board that supports nationals. And many of our graduates have gotten funds from BIEM. And they're out doing the work. He supports them for two years. And he wants a church that supports or a congregation that supports its pastor in two years. Not always been successful. But it's a high, greedy, not a greedy, ambitious goal. Next year will be 2018 will be uh, the counseling theme. And so we're going to have counselors come. And so creation and Israel and uh, counseling and missions. Those are the four themes we're going to try to just hammer away. And each four years they'll come away with a, a knowledge of those things. And we're excited about that. We have a partnership with Faith Baptist Bible College. So we send, we've sent two men up to the missions conference to preach and, uh, and they've sent a lot of professors. And so these are some of the professors who've come down and, and we just appreciate uh, that partnership and the help that they've been. And so there's just more pictures of professors who've come down. And there's Pastor Percy. Every year we have a teacher training class. And we have a great group of nationals and missionaries who teach. And, and we're excited to see uh, a theological education and a biblical education given to these guys. And I'm going to show you some of the students and what's happened. Oh, one more thing I want to tell you before that uh, is Jose Churata. He's teaching music now and he's doing a great job. Knows a lot of instruments. Graduated from the conservatory. And so he's teaching the small groups and the instruments and the choirs and leading songs, and it's been a great addition. And so now, uh, well, here's some of the social times our kids have. And you can whip through this, Isaac, real quick. Do a lot of fun things. And after their studies in the morning, we have uh, four hours, three and a half hours of work. And there's a work scholarship fund that people give to. And with that, they take care of furniture, build houses and and the chapel and everything we had to build everything on this property this is a new property take care of the grounds and so that's a neat way neat way for them to be able to take care of tuition tuition cost about four hundred and fifty dollars souls like a hundred bucks 120 bucks a year so our tuition may be a little cheaper than your college i'll give you the information if you want to come and study at our school uh, uh me 
meals cost about $13 a week. So, but even so, people have a hard time paying the bills, and so we have that work scholarship fund. And the Christian service, just pictures of Christian service. You can whip through them, Isaac, and you can see them. Awana visiting churches. Milka wants to start a reform uh, a school for uh, kind of the down and outers in Cusco. And this is a picture, about, and the next one's about Zacarias. He wants to start a church in Yaurisque, in a town that has no, no evangelical church. He wants to start a church in his hometown, pray for Joel Choque and his wife. They just had a baby, and they're excited about starting a church. We have a lot of kids from the jungle, and we've had that for about 15 years. It was incredible how we made contact with these jungle tribes, but ever since then, we've been getting uh, tribes, uh, uh, tribal people in there, and, and we've only had two graduates. One of them is the girl here. She was demon-possessed, left the Bible college came back. Uh, they grow up with alcohol and, and uh, alcoholism and uh, spiritism and immorality like you would not believe. And that's, that's it's such a dark environment. But she came out and the second time she went back to Bible college, she was saved. She m- married this guy and they're starting a church down in Sepawa, kind of a central village, and they go and visit where her relatives live. And she speaks the language. Her husband speaks a little. But they've sent now five students to us, more than that. But not all of them has lasted. These guys are in the third year. His his father, the guy in the red shirt, his father is a pastor down in a little village called Miaria and the tri- Ine tribe. And these three guys that uh, came this year are also from there. And we're praying that God allows them to stick it out. This is an example of someone who couldn't do it from the jungle. He's a, a chief in a, in a tribe. I spent two weeks there. We built, built uh, latrines and um, had medical clinic there and so he's the chief he comes and studies at the bible college he's acing it man this guy's loving it but his wife she only speaks one language and no one speaks her language he he learned her language he speaks five tribal languages there's like 90 languages i heard but there's a lot of languages and uh and so he speaks five languages he's the only one who can talk to her and after three months she said i'm leaving with or without you and we said you have to leave with her uh, and so they only lasted three months. Culture, climate, uh, I mean, you name it. It's, a ter- it's big changes. So pray for our guys who are from the jungle that they'll go back. Their goal is to go back and contact the non-contacted, non-clothed. I mean, you think of the Aka incident. That's what we're talking about here. And there's been several conflicts, and people have come out with arrows and lances in their bodies and we've gotten some of those uh, objects of their warfare and so that's who they want to reach and we're our, our philosophy is you reach people who can reach their own people we don't know the language they know the language they know the yine language and those mashkopiros that's what they speak and so we're excited about raising up young people and leaders that can go out so just pray that god would really work in these guys here's some outreach to public schools so maybe you don't uh enjoy here but we can uh, go into a public school and evangelize and so this was after the pedagogy class and all the students go down there and they they teach through puppets and the clowns and the mime and they hand out gideons at the end and anyway outreach is is incredibly uh open in public schools but this is the goal graduates let's whip through those isaac
We just whipped through them, yeah. And I'll tell you about a couple of graduates, what we have. Uh, this was a picture of our alumni day last year. It was really exciting to see uh, many of our graduates and what they're doing. Juan wants to start a church in Ukiah where Claudio, the drunk, is from, or the ex-drunk. So he's been faithful in our church. We're excited to see. This is, I'll see this. He's going to start a church with, uh, with uh, Aaron Cockrell in Cusco in a new place where 300,000 are supposed to be living, and they're just marking the streets and little uh, houses. This guy's got his life right with the Lord. He graduated back in the late 90s, uh, but he, he got far from the Lord, and now he's back, and his daughter's in Bible college. And the guy on the right, he's starting a church in Ankawasi. And here's a picture of his family. And so it's exciting to see family. Families serving the Lord. Uh, this is Crescenciana. Uh, her husband died 15 years ago. She's a widow. And all of her kids kind of went by the wayside, but God worked in their lives. And the one on the on the far right is the oldest. He's in a he's pastoring a church about a half an hour, half a half an hour drive from upriver from us. Wilbert is the one that's pastoring in Sepawa, starting a church in Sepawa. Been there two years, and the church is doing well, and they're starting to build. And he, they're sending out plans and and trying to get help for them to build these uh, churches in the villages. Juan is the one who's starting a church in Ukai where Claudio is. And so we're excited to see what he's doing. There's his sister, Gladys, and she married a graduate, Rolando, and they're starting a church in Kiteni. So it's just great to see God taking these guys and using them. Uh, Javier, he started, he's starting a church right now in Cusco and uh, in a place called Tika Tika. And this is a graduate. He's working with Bob and Becky Bass down in Salvacion. And he's gone through a couple bumps. He was an, an alcoholic. He was working with a, a church plant in Abancay. He fell back into, al- and, and into the drunk uh, scene and smashed into a car and a telephone post. And his head was caved in. No helmet on his motorbike that he was driving. And anyway... Uh, really bad. But now he's back and serving the Lord, helping a church planner. And so we're excited about God's, a God of second chances. And don't mess with God is what, uh, is what uh, Edson would say. And she's uh, teaching in a public school, but really active in a local church. They're pastoring over in a church called Palma Real, sending students to us. She's and her husband are out in a place called Andahuaylas, and they're starting a church out there, and the church is just growing. Uh, Ernesto and Soraida have been with us since San Tomas and those days, and now he's pastoring over in a place called Curuasi. He's starting a church in Urcos. They bought the land, now they're starting to do a building. And uh, Juan and his family, they are now in Solvario. He just graduated in December, and so it's exciting to see him. There they are at our pastor's conference that I directed a camp, and they came in. Here's the other graduate from the Jungle Tribes. Her name is Magnita, and she works with the women and children in the jungle uh, where she came from. She's been in a couple different places, but now she's back in her village, and exciting to see and hear news from her. And just uh, more graduates. Let's just whip through these, Isaac. And we'll get to, there's our property, seven acres God gave us, and it, but it had no buildings. This is the first house, Watley's lived there until 2008, they moved out and we turned it into our seminary kitchen, 
library, dining hall, dormitory, and uh, housing for the director. Here's another building we put up, uh, the missionary housing on the bottom. And the second floor is classroom and married student housing. So everything is really counting. Every piece of, uh, every roof we have is really utilized. We had a shop. We turned it into five um, apartments for people that work there and this is the new shop and we just made this into a guest housing and just when we left in april they used it for the first time the first visiting prof came in and, and set up a uh, shop there in that apartment so we praise the lord for people who support and make those kind of projects possible here is the entrance a brand new entrance a walkway that they can come in off the street straight to the chapel and that's an, an old the only building that existed on the property was that previous picture and it's the museum and it also doubles as the girls dormitory so here's from the street looking through the brand new door doesn't have the roof on it yet but that's the walkway going to the chapel and all those trees are planted it's beautiful our project when we go back that we're asking the Lord supply for is a dormitory. We need. A, we don't have any dormitories. They're just living uh, kind of in uh, make-do situation and really crammed. And so we need a dormitory. It'll, it'll house 60 if we went ahead and did the both floors, depending on the funds, what we'll do there. But uh, the dormitory will be used 12 months out of the year. January and February are camp season. That's our summer break in Peru. And so January and February, full camps. Uh, every week, a different camp going on. And then March through December is our, is our uh, Bible college. So 12 months out of the year, the dormitory will be used. And, and I think that's a good use of funds. Uh, we have uh, uh, people who have given a $10,000 matching fund. And uh, we had a gift come in of $5,000, so people are starting to respond, and we've had other gifts. So it, it's exciting to see what God provides for. Back one, that's the right where the dormitory is going to be placed, just above the shop. And now this is the picture of the artist of the dormitory. So we're excited about moving ahead on the master plan. We finished the first part of the plan, which was leveling and finishing the housing that uh, the buildings that were begun. And everything's looking really good now. And uh, this is some pictures from the camping season and some decision time of salvation and giving the, their lives for full-time Christian service. Here's the last thing I'll show you. And this is the museum. They went through, this is the only building that was left. It was colonial, so we couldn't tear it down. So we had a lot of remodeling to do. And uh, the first floor is used for dorms. The second floor, we have a lot of fossils that we've collected over the last uh, 60 years with the help of Mr. Watley. And we bought, I just bought some really interesting fossils. But shows the creation and shows the flood and shows animals that those people, uh, that, that don't exist anymore. And they're, they're very interesting. And so we want to tell the gospel story, uh, much like they do at AIG, Answers in Genesis at the Creation Museum. Here we are at the Ark Encounter, and we were able to meet with Joe Owen, who's kind of the head of the Spanish part of the ministry, and the guy behind there is Patrick Marsh. He's the brain behind both of those projects. Uh, Ken Ham showed him a $2 million dream, and he told him to convert it into a $30 million dream, which they did, and he was the one who worked with Jaws and Jurassic Park and brought those dinosaurs into the museum and stuff. And so he is... He is uh, had a dream, and, and he's the one who made it happen, really. And our 
Patrick Marsh is Manolo Chavez. He uh, is the head of tourism, and he wants museums, and we have a museum. He says, we've got to make this so people come and see it. I mean, it's just bones and bones in, in uh, closets now. We've got to make this thing neat. And he set up like 10 or more museums in the country approved. He's gone to St. Petersburg and a thing in Philadelphia. He's been to Smithsonian. He's gone all over the world, and he takes those ideas back. He has the machines to make all the graphics, and he does, and he does the lighting. I mean, he really makes it sharp. I've gone and seen a few of his museums. So we went there and we made contacts and hopefully we'll be able to use the Spanish information that they already have, not reinvent the wheel, and visiting with some of the folks who have come down at different creation conferences that we've had. So there's the project. 80 and 20 equals 100 and that's a lot of money, but for God, it's certainly not impossible. And if we can get back with 40,000, we're looking forward to uh, what he can do. One more prayer request. Small entrances. And we've been asking the Lord to open. It's the dirt wall, the mud wall, that needs to move over really about two meters so that we can get something in besides a small car. My car is a van, and it's kind of a small one, but it scrapes on both sides. So just pray for us that that would open up and we'd be able to continue to develop this property. But most of all, develop young men and women for the work of the ministry. We're going to listen to a video right now. And... uh, on the back of our prayer card is our email address. If you'd like to receive our prayer update, please write a short request and we'll sign you up. Um, on the back of the prayer card is the website for the seminary, so you can visit that and see pictures as well. Thank you. There it is. I'd like to end by asking you to open your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 17. And I'd like to consider the question, uh, who is the man God uses? We'll see two men as we read through the text here. I'm going to start just reading. We're just going to look at one verse, but I'd like you to uh, begin reading with me in 1 Kings 16:29, and we'll read through 17:1. In the 13th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab the son of Omri became king over Israel. And Ahab the son of Omri reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. Now Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. And it came to pass, as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the sons of Nebat, that he took as wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of Sidonians. He was a king and priest up there of Baal. And Jezebel was a princess and a priestess of the, of the idolatry of the Baal worship. And, uh, and so it said, he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Can you believe the king of Israel is building a temple and worshipping Baal? In Samaria. He built it in Samaria, it says. Verse 33, And Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. In his days, Hiel of Bethel built Jericho, and he laid its foundations with Abiram, his firstborn, and with his youngest, Segub. 
He set up its gates according to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken through Joshua, the son of Nun. We have a town there close by, built back in about 800 A.D. by the Wadi civilization. And they have walls that are 20 meters high, about 60 feet high, an incredible city. Uh, And they did the same thing, it seems. They say that the bones of the son of the king who set it up are right there in the city wall. And that was something that Joshua had spoken. So we see an evil man. His name's Ahab. He's uh, a a strong king, had somewhat of a long reign, but he is not strong spiritually. Uh, We see him, an incredibly good picture of him later, where he humbles himself before the Lord, and uh, and God has mercy on him, gives him victory. But then, most of the time, we see the other side of him. He seems to be very syncretistic, like in in Peru, Catholicism, and and Andean um, animism, and the the shamanism, everything just kind of mixes together. And, and that's the way it was in Israel. And so he's the leader while Israel is going downhill spiritually. And he's speeding it on its way by building temples, building images, and worshiping Baal. And letting Jezebel kill the prophets of the true God and, and set up idol worship throughout the nation of Israel. And now let's meet the next man. 17.1. And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Elijah is the name. Tishbite probably comes from where he is and probably from the land of Nephtali and uh, around the Galilee. And he was probably, possibly, left Israel under the under persecution in those days and in conflicts and went to the Transjordan, lived there in the wilderness region of what is today Jordan. So he's from Gilead. And all we know about Elijah is this verse. This is the way the Bible presents Elijah. Uh, like a like a, a lightning on a on a sunny day, he just appears out of nowhere and strikes in the in the palace in Samaria, where Ahab reigns. He's in Ahab's presence, and he has a message. This is a man of God. He's a prophet of God. God said through Malachi that Elijah was going to return, and Jesus said that. That uh, John the Baptist was the Elijah. He was the one who came in the spirit and power of Elijah and preached God's word and and people were moved. And uh, more about Elijah throughout God's word. He was there on probably uh, Mount Hermon with with Jesus in the Mount of Transfiguration, and he saw and he was with uh, with Moses, Moses and Elijah. And then in the Revelation, you see him again. But uh, exciting person and and a man that's maybe almost like superhuman to us but James 5:17 said he was a man of like passions you just like you and me same fears same temptations same struggles same depression he wanted to end his life 
there in chapter 19, we see that. So he's just like you and me. But he was a man that God used. Why did God use Elijah? And I think there's three things that we can gather from his life in this verse 1 that will help us to see why God used him and why God can use us or how God can use us. Be we men, fathers, or be women or young people or children. God can use us. And in the dark days, God needs specially prepared, specially empowered, specially gifted people. So what was it that made Elijah usable to God in the days of Ahab, the king of Israel? And everything comes from what he says, but this first point, and the first point is, you have to recognize that Jehovah is God. What does Elijah mean? Jehovah is God. Who names the Israelite children, who gives them their name? We see it in the case of John the Baptist when Zechariah gave him the name John. He said, what do you give John? Who's John? There's no relative John. But God had told him to call him John. So the father is the one who gives the name. And this is Father's Day. And if you don't do much with your children... Uh, you don't have much of a much of a heritage. It says if a father it does not altogether embrace a life of uncompro- uncompromised sacrifice as the core of all principles by which he nurtures his children. He's a father by birth only, and no power on earth can ever or will ever make that sufficient. So he didn't just give him a name. He just didn't give him life. He gave him faith. He gave him the word of God. He gave him a name when Baal was worshipped that every time he called him to breakfast or lunch or supper or called him in for a bath, they were pronouncing a needed truth in the land of Israel. Jehovah is God, not Baal. The creator is God. And he's a personal God of Israel, our covenant God. And he was telling them, the world at that time, through the child's name that he, that Jehovah was God. And, and if they think a little ahead, in chapter 18, when, when the contest happens, and children of Israel saw the fire fall down from heaven, and they fell down. And what did they say? 1840, if you forget. 1840. The Lord, he is God. 39. The Lord, he is God. And they repeat it twice. And so there is a form of the name of Elijah. The Lord, he is God. Jehovah is God. And so that was an important thing. His name was an important aspect. But a father is so much more than someone who just gives life and gives a name. I've got a few quotes that I'd like to read to you this morning. A parent holds within their hands the gift of a child to which they must expand the gift of themselves in such a monumental outpouring, giving your life. The parent will lose both the child and the gifts given, but they will possess a far greater gift of knowing that they gave both. A father teaches his children that their battle is not determined by the enemy that stands around them, but by the God who stands within them. 
And that lesson can only be driven home as they watch their fathers stand around them, which God stands within their father, who, while God stands within their father. What an example we have the opportunity of being. You can be the God of a child who grows up knowing there is a God and he is powerful and he is strong and he wants to work in us and he wants to work through us. Every parent is an artist. For the bared canvas of a newborn soul begs for the artist's touch. And because that is so, a parent must prepare the palette with utmost care. Choose the brushes with poised caution and mindfully attend to every brush stroke, regardless of how slight. And such caution is utterly imperative for the emerging rendering will be both a legacy born of the parent and a life lived by the child. The father who has selflessly poured himself into the life of his children may leave no other monument than that of his children. But as for a life well lived, no other monument is necessary. Fathers, you have an opportunity today, and mothers too, of living a life that will exemplify godliness and passion, and faith, and love, and service. And obviously, Elijah came to the point where he recognized Jehovah is God, and I'll serve him, I'll love him, even if nobody else does. And it may get hard, but I'm going to continue on. You have to recognize that Jehovah is God if God's going to use you. And that's what Elijah did, and that's what Elijah means. And it's exciting to see that on this day, Father's Day. The second thing that needs to be in place if we're going to serve God. And who's the man God uses? One who recognized Jehovah as God, but also the one who lives before God. And those are from Elijah's words. He says, as the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand. Stop. Where is Elijah? He's in the palace. Who's with Elijah? Ahab. There probably were some palace guards, some police, security, uh, and he's in the palace. And so he's looking at those guards, probably looking at their weapons, the most modern deadly weapons in their hands. And he's not in a friendly place. He didn't get, he was unwelcome, uninvited, unwanted, but there he is. I don't know how he got past the border patrol, but he got in there and he's got a message. The prophet has a word. But he says, there in the presence of the king and the gold and the affluence and the riches around him and the, just the impressiveness of walking into the president's home and place of power, the king of Israel, Ahab, he says, as the Lord God of Israel lives, and that was a bold declaration to the guys who's making temples and building images and worships Baal, as the Lord God of Israel is before whom I stand. He doesn't even recognize the king's presence. He recognizes God's presence before whom I stand. It would behoove every father here and every Christian to remember who we stand before. Every moment of every day. It doesn't matter who you're with. 
You can be with your family. You can be with friends. You can be with the work people. You can be with your schoolmates. You can be with your, the professor. But it doesn't matter where you are or who you're with here. You're always before God. And the person that God uses will remember that he and, he, and he will have as a personal conviction that he lives his life before God and for God's glory and for, and, and he lives to find out what God wants them to do and he does it. And he lives his life before God. So he doesn't even acknowledge the king that's before him. Isn't that incredible? He acknowledges God before whom I live. And if you live before God, you're a God-fearing individual and a God-loving individual and a God-glorifying individual. And he will give you the strength and the courage to live your life before him under any circumstance and before anyone. You will not know fear. You can be like an Elijah that can walk into a place and start talking about God with somebody who has no desire to hear him. That's courage. Parents need to be talking about God. They need to be living before God. If you're living before God, you will be an example to your children. If you're living before God, you will be talking about God where you go because you're living before Him. You're living for Him. And God's looking for men and Christians who will have that kind of courage, that kind of focus, and that kind of motivation. The third thing is that he trusted in God. The man God uses will recognize him as God, will live before him, and will also trust in him. Look at the last phrase that Elijah says. There shall be no dew nor rain these years except at my word. That's bold. Would you stand up before President Trump and say that? There's a lot of evangelicals that are working with him. As far as I've I haven't heard any message like that. Why would he get up before the leader of the country of Israel and say, no rain unless I say so? Deuteronomy 11, 16 and 17 give us a clue. Uh, This will just be one example. There's many I could read, but uh, Deuteronomy 11... 16 and 17, 13 to 15 say, if you follow me and obey me, there's going to be rain, there's going to be dew, there's going to be oil and wine and corn and grain. I mean, it's going to be plenteous. But if you don't, 11:16 says this, take heed to yourself, lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them, lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you. And he shut up the heavens so that there be no rain and the land yield no produce and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. And you see the same thing in Leviticus. You can see the same thing in, in, in many books of the Bible. Similar to what David said when Saul and his sons died on Gilboa. No rain and no dew fall on you. So why this message? He wasn't a meteorologist. He wasn't a weather predictor. He was somebody who studied God's word. And just this morning I was talking with Vance back there. And he said, you just need to be in the Bible every day and write. 
A Christian needs to be in God's word. A father needs to be in God's word. A mother needs to be in God's word. Young people need to be in God's word. Young Young kids need to be in God's word. We need to be people of the word. When we begin to study the word of God, he fills our lives with convictions. He fills our lives with thoughts. He fills our lives with direction. He fills our lives with theology. He fills our lives with a knowledge of him and a passion for him that only comes through a knowledge of the word. This is a guy who knew God's word and he knew the whole sale. And even exaggerate a bit. He said, there's no one. I'm the only one. And God said, there's 7,000. But that wasn't very many. And so in this day of wholesale abandonment of the God of Israel, he said, God's judgment is coming and there isn't going to be any rain. But it wasn't just a knowledge of God's word. Flip me really quick and we'll not come back to this text. So that's it. James chapter 5. Verse 16 and the middle. If you'll just start with me in the middle. James 5.16b. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Wow, so he was not only a man who studied God's word, knew God's word, believed God's word, and acted on God's word, but he was a man of prayer. And if you study your Bibles and pray, it shows that you're a man of faith. And if you don't study your Bible and you don't pray, it shows that you are not a person of faith. And the quantity and the quality of amount of time that you stand in the study of God's word and on your knees or talking to God throughout your day, pray without ceasing, that will demonstrate how great is your faith. And if you can get up and go through the week without cracking the book and without bending a knee, then your faith is very small. And you're living by your own wisdom and by your own strength. And someday that'll fall and that'll fail. You need God. And you need those two activities in your life as much as Elijah does. Without him, you can do. Do you believe that? A missionary sure can't do anything without God's help. Neither can your pastor. Neither can your leaders. Neither can you. And your monumental task of raising children and being a man of God, you can't do it without spending time in the word and prayer. And Elijah was a man of word and prayer. He not only prayed that it would not rain, and it didn't. And you don't say, man... Was powerful in prayer. No, he serves a powerful God who can withhold rain, who can judge. And that's not mean, that's kindness. 
And every time brings a, God brings a trial into our lives that can't be so that we can complain and gripe and say, man, this is hard. It's to say, God, what do you want to teach me? What do you want to correct? What do you want to eliminate? What do you want to make better? And it wasn't just that it would stop raining. And it stopped for three years. No rain. Animals are dying. People are dying. People are moving. And Elijah's over there, the brook Cherith, with his bread and meat and water. And the, and the other prophets who are missing out on a lot of stuff. But they're in a cave hiding. And they just get bread and water. But there's not much in the country of Israel. And it's all because of Elijah. And people are mad at Elijah. You'll see Elijah later on in this story. And the king's ready to wring his neck. You trouble Israel. That was in a later part that he said that. But he was considered the troublemaker. He was the bad guy. And Elijah's saying, you don't get it. God's judging us. You forsake God and God forsakes you. And when are you going to get your priorities right? When are you going to get your beliefs right? When are you going to get your life right? So that you can begin to realize God's blessings in your life. And three and a half years later, and after the competition, after the, the contest between God of Israel and Baal, the God of thunder and the God of storms, and who can make it rain? And they cut themselves and they scream and they carry on all day long until late afternoon sacrifice. About three o'clock, he builds the altar again that had been destroyed. And he lays the sacrifice and he begins to bring water from all the way down the top of, Kish, uh, of Carmel, down from Kishon, and up the, and they do it again. And they did it three times and it's filling the trench, filled the altar, everything's wet, and he prays. And, and, and if you get the words there in, in chapter 5 of James, he said, the effective, fervent, he prayed earnestly, verse 17. This guy just didn't, dear God, bless the missionaries or bless the children or whatever. It wasn't like that. He prayed earnestly, fervently, and God moved. God stopped the rain, and then after they killed the prophets of Baal and... And God had consumed the altar and they'd fallen down and said, Elijah, Elijah. Then he says, get ready, it's going to rain. And he goes over and sits and prays, kneels down and prays, prostrates himself and prays. He and Ahab sits down and eats. What are you going to do this afternoon? What we do, again, is an indication of what we are. Sitting down and banqueting. Well, I plan on eating lunch now. and that's, I'm not knocking you for that. But we need to be like Elijah. He goes over and prays. And he says to his servant, go over and see. And off Mount Carmel, you got a good view of the Mediterranean. He says, take a look. What's happening out there? And he's nothing. Go a second time. Absolutely nothing. Seven times. And he finally on the seventh time says, there's a, there's a cloud about the size of a fist way out there. And that's it. And he says, go tell Ahab to 
book it to Samaria because it's going to be a downpour. And then he girds up his loins and beats him to Samaria. What a man's man. Do you have that kind of faith? To pray on a blue sky day that it's going to rain and you get rain. Farmers pray for rain. You guys normally probably don't pray for rain. But farmers need rain. And people that are in a drought need rain. And he prayed and he believed it. Even when it was just, there was no evidence and then just a little evidence. But he believed it. And God sent rain. I don't know what you need in your life. But we serve the same God as Elijah. If you'll be the man that God wants you to use, God can use fathers today. God needs leaders. God needs young people. God needs children who will believe God, live before God, and believe in God in a very real way. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for the man Elijah. May we be like him. In Jesus' name, amen.